Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast with myself and Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Unlike the Tuesday show with Mark Chapman, on Wednesdays Flo and myself are going to pick out just one article from the Athletic and put the writers under the spotlight. Today, Laurie Whitwell's with us to talk about the secrets of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign at Manchester United and if he now has everything he needs to challenge for the title. We're also going to talk about Roy Keane at 50 and point you in the direction of a few other great pieces up on the site before we're done. We're going to say hello to Laurie in just a minute, but first, Flo, reunited after a summer together in the Euros. How are you? I'm all right. I think I've just about recovered from the grief and the trauma of the Euros. But I, I guess for you, Dan, unfortunately, that never ends because you went from <laughs> Euros um, misery to... Um, JG tends departure. So more, I think it's more important than how are you doing? You know what? I'm actually okay. I took it a lot better than I ever thought I would, would do. If you'd have said to me 12 months ago that what, what's the day going to be like when Jack Grealish leaves Aston Villa Football Club, I'd have said it's going to be catastrophic. I'm going to be in tears. But actually the way the club acted and the, the way they've conducted their business so far in this window, I'm not worried at all, which is really, really weird when you, you lose your best player. It's, it, it's a feeling I'm not used to at all. I mean, there's loads going on at the moment, isn't there? Messi, Kane, Lukaku, there's tons to catch up with on the on the Athletic. What have you made of it all? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a frantic transfer window. And I think, I mean, there's lots of people who've written about this, but I think it is concerning, I think, when you think about the future of football and its finances, and, and especially with the Messi and Inter Milan uh, situations about where football is heading and the, the the bankruptcy that looms for so many of the biggest clubs, the biggest brands in football who have so much history. The fact that they are clinging on um, by the skin of their teeth financially is kind of crazy. I mean, what's come out about the Barcelona situation in terms of them spending sort of nearly 100% of all their revenue on, on wages is... It's mad. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting season, I think, with the Premier League probably coming out of it fairly well. Um, the French League as well, PSG, look like they're going to clean up, benefiting from a lot of these issues. So it's just really, really bizarre. I mean, my question for you as well is, obviously, as a QPR fan, I've seen lots of good players, well, some good players and lots of okay players depart Loftus Road over the last few years. And when Abireze left, I didn't really I didn't really care that much because I was really excited to see a great player kind of spread their wings and hopefully play for England seniors at some point and all those things. And do, do you feel like you'll still be able to follow Grealish and be happy about it? Or are you, are you going to struggle to watch him play in a Man City shirt? I think I'm quite alone in this, but you know I'll, I'll look forward to seeing him in the Champions League. I can never dress it up as a good thing that he's left Villa, but 
I think because we've all known about him, Villa fans, for so long, since he was 15, 16, I think he's a world-class player. I think he is an elite-level player and I want him to do well and I want him to kick on for Manchester City and I think that would be a good thing for England as well. But at the moment, I think I'm, I'm quite alone in this. I've, I've seen a lot of Villa fans who don't want him to do well. They want him to sit on the bench all season. But I get that. Everyone's entitled to, to their opinion. But I'm, I'm a bit more like you, Flo. I, I want to see him do well and I want to see him develop because he is a fantastic player. If you do want to catch up with Tuesday's episode, which goes a bit more in detail about Messi, Kane, Lukaku and all the stuff that's going on with transfers at the moment, then go back and have a look at that on the Athletic Football Show feed. Mark Chapman recorded that. It was out on Tuesday, so don't miss that. And if you do want to read more about those articles as well, I can quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. All you got to do is go to theathletic.com slash footballpod and you'll be able to take part in that deal. Should we talk about Manchester United then, Flo? Should we bring Laurie in? Because his story about Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, his deep dive into Ali Gunnar Solskjaer's time at Manchester United so far is what we're going to talk about today. Let's get cracking. Laurie, welcome. First off, new season just round the corner coming up this week. How excited are you for Manchester United's campaign? Really excited. Um, it's been a summer window that I think has delivered more than people expected. That being said, it's only two signings, but they've been quality signings. They've been achieved quicker than usual for Manchester United, which is always the hope. But usually there's some scrambling around on deadline day. You know, Edinson Cavani last summer, uh, Alex Telles as well, Bruno Fernandes in the winter window previously, Harry Maguire took ages to come uh, the summer before that. So uh, it actually feels like United have got their house in order fairly well. Uh, Sancho's starting training, Varane's doing his medical. Admittedly, they've taken a little bit more time to get on board after the initial announcements than expected but um, they're two players of, of real quality real experience already even though Sanchez is only 21 obviously around we know his qualities um, they should be able to go straight into the first team this has always been the uh, sort of issue with United perhaps signing players that uh, were, they, were they actually really first team starters were they young prospects that, that they hope in time would, would do the business but actually these guys are going to come in and they should lift um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first team squad straight out the gate Laurie, I know in your piece you touched on the on the Super League and and obviously what happened at Old Trafford and and the fallout from that. Do you think that they they have recovered from that? Do you think the fan base has softened a little bit to that, or do you think there is still a bit of a hangover from obviously what happened? Yeah, they'll never forget. Uh, what happened, but it's part of a, a wider sort of tapestry, I suppose, in terms of the Glazers' ownership, um, where fans, you know, no, no fan will ever adore the Glazers when they look at how they took over the club because it was borrowed money uh, from banks. Um, you know, they take dividends out every year, you know, to the tune of sort of twenty million uh, for the for the shareholders. Um, they would look at that and think that is money that could go on transfers. It's not an insignificant amount of money when you look at how much you know players are bought for these days. Um, so uh, and yeah, it's cost the club. You know, one point five billion is is our sort of estimate as to how much it's cost Manchester United to have the Glazers as owners. So that's always the uh, the base, the foundation. The Super League was a reminder that that is what the Glazers have as their intentions, making money um, from from the club. Um, you know, they apparently have affection for the club, but ultimately the reason why they own Manchester United is because of the financial gain that they can can get from it. So that was a reminder, and it was it was probably. Uh, a very visceral um, sort of uh, show of their intentions and that provoked 
a very strong response from the fans. Um, whether that then trickles into this season, I would be doubtful just because um, it takes a lot of energy for people to galvanise and to come together and to have that kind of reaction. Um, I think that the signings over the summer will have just, you know, I suppose eased that kind of anxiety that people may have had um, because I think if, if they hadn't made any signings I think you could probably see that animosity festering again as it is there's certainly people that would have you know intention perhaps of of staging some kind of protest of making their feelings clear but the way the the way the Glazers have responded is by having communication with the fans is by offering the share scheme which is something that um, I think is a real um, significant um, act. We'll see if that actually um, develops into something meaningful. You know, they're still in communication with most of the shareholders, the, the United um, Supporters Trust, sorry, um, and, and they will take that to their members and, and have a vote on it whether they want to go forward with that. Um, but the, the kind of acts that they're doing are at least, you know, a sign that they are, you know, responding to the, the animosity that they faced early in this early in the, the year and. Um, if that continues, the, the appetite for protest will will sort of it just won't be there. I don't think that that's the kind of impression I get. For sure, you'll still get songs. I'm sure you know in the stands. Um, you know, particularly if you know if things are going well, if things are going bad, there'll, there'll be songs about the Glazers. No doubt, there was one um, in the preseason friendly against Derby. You know, we want Glazers out. But when I was at Brentford for the friendly, there was it was kind of positive the atmosphere because I think people were so excited to be back properly you know we had the Fulham game at the end of last season at Old Trafford where fans were there the the final in the Europa League in Gdansk where there was a few fans that could get there but this feels like for a lot of people their first matches since um, the Manchester derby you know in March 2020 it's a long long time that people have been waiting to go to games so their initial reaction is just to kind of get behind the team and support the team rather than protest against the owners. Do you think that chaos at the at the end of the season, Laurie, has, has fed into the transfer strategy a little bit? Because it does seem a lot more astute this summer than it has done in previous transfer windows. Do you, do you think all that chaos and the Super League stuff and ha- having to have more communication with the fans now, do you think that that's made them act a, a bit more savvily? Possibly. I think they probably felt an imperative to actually go and do something significant in this transfer window. You know, heaven knows what the scenes might be like if they hadn't made any signings, you know, uh, this summer. For sure, there'd be a real sense of animosity and you could see that feeling grow. That being said, I don't think that the protests have um, have really triggered anything in the sense of how the United then gone about their business, you know, they've signed these players because they were both available from, from their clubs. They both wanted to leave their clubs. Um, they are deals that are there to be done. It's not particularly like United have had to be extremely creative or extremely smart or shrewd in the market. These are, you know, Rafael Varane, through his agency, was making it clear to, to clubs that he was looking for a new challenge, um, you know, as long ago as sort of last October, I think. So it's not like it's one where United have had to go and be really secretive and kind of do very difficult um, negotiation tactics to get it sorted. They've, they've obviously done well, I think, in getting the fees that they've got for both the players. They've managed to um, structure them over a number of years, which again, you know, fantastic. But that is how the Glazers would like to do their business, you know. That So it's 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 prudent. It's, it's not like, you know, they've kind of... It's it's the club's own money, really. So the Glazers have have enabled the club to spend their own money in in this transfer window with two players that are available 
for reduced fees because you know their contracts. You know, Jaden Sancho had two years left. Rafa Alvaran had one year left. Both clubs needed to sell, so it's kind of that. That's why I, that's where I see those deals. They, they were deals that that should be done by Manchester United. Yeah, and we're here today to dive into your Ole Gunnar Solskjaer big read. I read it. I enjoyed it. There was a lot in there, wasn't there, Flo? Yeah, it was, it was a brilliant piece, and I think I've maybe been guilty in many ways of being part of the crowd that says. He's a great guy, but not much of a coach. And that's obviously a narrative and a reputation that's kind of followed him around a lot. And I think what your piece does is sort of uncover, actually, he's grown a lot in in the last year or so. And he's really kind of challenged that reputation. Um, and we've seen that on the pitch and, and how the results have improved and everything like that. But I guess my question is, do you think, other managers fear him in a way now that they didn't before because he's always kind of been the nice guy even when he was a player a lovely guy that everyone loved everyone respected in that way but no one really feared him massively but do you think the past year has kind of changed that and i know in post-match you know we've seen a bit more of an edge to him in Mm. in tv interviews than we didn't see before so do you think he is getting a bit of a, a harsher more intimidating reputation in a positive way yeah, I suppose it's interesting what other coaches make of other other coaches. I guess I guess no coach would admit to fearing anybody else, but for sure, I think in the in certain matches he's shown an astuteness that actually coaches have to respect. You know, Pep Guardiola for sure has been able to beat him three times. You know, the one at the Etihad last season was a real marker for a guy that understands how, what it is to to win a certain match um you know the, the way they played there was a, a blueprint that you know Dortmund tried to copy in their Champions League game and uh, and I think probably you don't want a manager only to have you know wins in, in significant games you want them to have particularly Manchester United to have a a consistency over a course of a season and that's I suppose where Solskjaer needs to get to next you know like the, the games where they perhaps struggle to beat um, sides sort of lower down the pyramid or even um, you know they, they drew quite a lot of games nil nil you know the, take, taking that next step and beating you know the, the likes of the, the big six on a consistent basis would be um, you know his, his next step as a coach but I do yeah thanks for sort of noticing that little bit of the, of the piece really where I think he, he is improving that um, you know uh, people might argue it shouldn't be a classroom at Manchester United it should be you know, ready-made manager, ready to go. But, you know, United have tried that with Louis van Gaal. They've tried that with Jose Mourinho and, and both those reigns ended um, disappointingly for different reasons. Solskjaer takes a view that he's a manager for the whole of Manchester United and that might sound nostalgic, but I think that you've seen enough progress in the team to go, actually, maybe he knows what he's talking about. And if United can find success with a guy like that who clearly has the club at heart, has that history with the club, so that you've got that affection between the fans and the manager, which is so rare in, in modern day football where, you know, managers are dispensable, you know, two, three years and off you pop. Um, I think that's something that United really should try and uh, and f- find fulfilment with. Um, obviously, the Europa League final was a really disappointment because that was a big game where I think he, a manager should be able to negotiate that game just so that so that United win it. You know, that they were the better team. They had the, the greater resources, the better players. So that's the, the one thing that perhaps is a, is, a, is a black mark against him but it was his first final you know th- these things can happen he, he had success earlier on in the competition against AC Milan um, which was a, a difficult opponent to face so he, he's, he's done enough for me to show that actually he is 
you know, getting better as a manager. And listen, he's 48, so people might again say, well, <laughs> he's old enough, you know. Um, but I think the scale of a club of Manchester United, we saw it swallow up David Moyes and he'd had such a huge um, career at Everton previously where you thought, actually, he's ready for something like this. And, and, it, and the scale of Manchester United just... You know, consumed him. So Solskjaer knows what it's like as a player to be at Manchester United, and I think he's he's getting more and more comfortable with being a manager at a club like that. Um, you know, and as you say, with the post-match stuff, there was a time I think when I first started covering Man United where I felt like he didn't really want to be there and and, and kind of wasn't really sure of himself. And now he, he certainly seems to use those press conferences in the way that he wants to, which I think every manager should do. Um, and I mean, the one that sticks in my mind was after the Tottenham game where, you know, he'd just beaten Jose Mourinho, which for sure was a, a particular delight for him, I think. And he used that then to kind of go on the aggressive, you know, in terms of fixture congestion and, and what have you. And, and the way that Son had, had kind of gone down and you know, got gold allowed. So that's kind of what you want from a Manchester United manager um, in the right moments. And I think Solskjaer's you know getting to that point where he feels totally comfortable in charge. And he you know you look at him when he's interacting with Sancho, you know, a, a top quality player. You look at the way you know Rafael Varane. You know, it, it, people would say do the top level players want to come and play for Solskjaer? Well, he's, he's got enough of them now that have said yes to him. So I think that can be put to one side. So, but now, yeah, the pressure is on to sort of go and deliver the silverware. You know, he's obviously had, uh, you know, two and a half seasons where they've not won anything yet. Semi-finals and finals, they've got close, fin- finished second in the league now. Now the pressure is is on to, to really take that next step. Dan, I just wanted to throw something to you. I mean, I think so much of it is about changing the reputation because Man United's reputation has been damaged the last few years. You know, they've gone from being a club that everyone feared and dreaded coming up against to a bit of a laughing stock at times. I mean, you you, you touch on that 6-1 defeat in October that they suffered at the hands of, of Spurs. And it's mad to think that that's where the the Manchester United brand got to. But I think the, the last, you know, the rest of last season certainly transformed and they did become you got back to that kind of status Dan I don't know what you think in terms of being a Villa fan and how you perceive Manchester United but do you think they're also on the way up I mean from my point of view as a Villa fan it doesn't matter what Manchester United are doing because whenever we play them they just beat us anyway I haven't beat them for about 100 years at, at Villa Park so yeah whatever Manchester United are doing you can still rely that they'll get three points against Villa I think from just listening to you both, I was thinking about when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over on a temporary basis. I was thinking that felt like the right move at the time. It felt like a good fit. And then perhaps the, the Spurs time that you're, you're talking about, I wasn't 100% convinced that he was the right fit and what they needed at that point. But now I do again. I don't know whether it's just from reading Laurie's piece, but, but now <laughs> I really do feel like he, like he is the right fit. And I think Manchester United are getting back to what they used to be. By bringing in elite players like Varane, Sancho, the big name in Cavani, twelve months ago as well, that kind of that kind of makes me feel, Laurie, that that they're getting back to, to where they were by attracting those kind of players and getting those players through. I think so, and that 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 comes from Solskjaer because he. You know, it is very easy to go back to the days of Ferguson and talk about how he got it so right over year after year. And But I think you do need a club like Manchester United, you do need a manager who understands the history of the place, uh, what the fans want and, you know, the match going fans. And, uh, and Solskjaer totally 
totally gets that. He, he isn't managing for, you know, next year where he needs to win, you know, the Europa League and FA Cup and that's him and he, he puts that on his CV and he holds fingers up in press conferences to say, this is how many trophies I won. Um, he's he's talking about Manchester United as a club where you need development and you need progression from, you know, different parts of the squad and, and from the academy as well. You know, he's given a lot of players their, their debuts and it's not been a case of giving them their debuts just for the sake of it. It's been let's actually see what they can do and let's give them a chance. You know, you've seen the way Mason Greenwood's developed and that wasn't a, that wasn't an easy situation for, for Solskjaer. You know, Greenwood's had his difficulties at, at different times and he's been able to keep him on side. Obviously, he didn't go away with England to the Euros, which I, th- I think is an interesting um, point to, to reflect on with Manchester United, you know, their view historically of, you know, um, where players' loyalty should lie, club and country. Um, you know, you look at the Paul Pogba situation where, again... Perhaps another manager with with a, a Solskjaer does have an ego for sure, but it's not one where it's at the expense of everything else. You know, he backs himself. I suppose he's got confidence, but he's not arrogant. And a manager with a, with a, an ego driving them would perhaps say to Pogba, "Well, you know, your agent said this. You know, you're, you're in the, the reserves or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not having this at all." I think Solskjaer's taken a, a slightly more diplomatic view, a slightly more modern manager view where, you know, you, you can't jettison players just because of what their agents have said. You know, these players are, are different. They're kind of little businesses, aren't they, um, nowadays? So, you know, you, you kind of have to appreciate that and, and make sure that actually if he's going to be able to deliver something for you on the pitch, then keep him on side. And Pogba did do that at the second part of the season. Um, So I think he's handled certain situations very well and all the while feeling like it can build towards something. You know, United had, I think, the youngest squad in the Premier League last season on average. Um, Certainly was one of the youngest anyway. And he's added Jadon Sancho to that, a player who's 21, who's got, you know, years of of development still to come, you'd think. So I think he, he appreciates what it is he knows that he he needs ready-made players right now, but also he's he's kind of got one eye on the future as well. And listen, it can't always be, you know, uh, aspiring towards the never-never. It has to happen at some point. And that's why I'm sort of saying this season is probably the, the, the crunch one just to sort of really test his mettle. But I think I personally, you know, with having, you know, grew up a Manchester United fan, can see what he's trying to do and would always back what a guy like that is, is trying to accomplish. Flo, I just wanted to ask you, I was really surprised when I read Laurie's piece. This, this took me by surprise. I don't know if it's completely passed me by, but one of his biggest successes, Solskjaer, is that he's given 16 debuts to academy players. Now, Laurie's going to reel off those 16 right now. Oh, God. Us, like, <laughs> no, no, I'm only, I'm, I'm, I'm only joking. But did that did that surprise you, Flo? Because from, from an outside point of view, I, I, I couldn't name that many. Yeah, I think it's. I think for me it's more that the, the bigger names just garner so much attention and that the drama that surrounds them on and off the pitch is kind of what we focus on and you know I know Carl is often writing um, haiku poems about Fred and 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 obviously the 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 magic of Bruno Fernandes and things like that that I think that's almost like the (laughs) distraction and I think you forget that actually there is still a, a successful conveyor belt of youth coming through but the chaos that has surrounded the club for the last, you know, five years, especially, and and the amount that of players that Mourinho brought in that didn't work, and the drama around that, you kind of forget that actually behind the scenes there's still great development happening. And I think for me that's still part of the brand building thing that I've, you know, 
chatted about now for like 20 minutes about the fact that I think it's really important to highlight and celebrate that because if we if you just focus too much on the, those big names that uh, you know uh negotiating big contracts every now and again you you forget that actually it's still important to celebrate the the talent that the club have spent a lot of money and spent a lot of time working on I think it it proves it makes a perfect opportunity as well to to talk about Paul Pogba because it's obviously something that is on a lot of people's minds um at the moment and um we caught with Carl Anker to get his his thoughts on on a, a complicated summer ahead I think Manchester United fans are torn between three options. One, moving Paul Pogba on for a sum of money to a club, probably on the continent, and then reinvesting that. Two, winding down his contract and Pogba leaves on the free next season. Or three, Paul Pogba stays. I think option one now looks dramatically less, considering movements on the continent regarding clubs like Paris Saint-Germain. Option two... Letting him wind down the contract as a free agent is, is always there. If United let him wind down his contract going to free, yes, that's slightly galling, but there are very few players that can give you one season of Paul Pogba production. In theory, small asterisks. This is considering Paul Pogba's got his head switched on. Uh, and in theory, can Paul Pogba sign a new contract? Personally, as a Manchester United fan, I think Paul Pogba's fantastic and creates an interesting problem for United as they move to a more Bruno-centric model. But I'd ideally like Paul Pogba to stay and Manchester United to go out and sign a defensive midfielder. Neither of those things are likely right now. So I think what you're going to see is uh, an unhappy version of either option two or option three as we go right up into the end of the transfer window. Always great to hear from Carl Anker. This is the Athletic Football Podcast and we've got plenty left to discuss still with Laurie, including Paul Pogba. So we'll be back after this short break to talk about the Frenchman. You're listening to the brand new Athletic Football Podcast and this is what we have planned for you across our network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman Podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General give you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right, Laurie, Paul Pogba, we heard from Carl Anker before the break. Where do you stand in your thoughts with him? Because it can at times become a little bit of, of a circus, but he's a sensational footballer, someone I love watching, but it does feel like there's a lot of hype around him. He doesn't always deliver. What, what do you think is going to happen for him in these next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I, um, I've i sort of changed my view of, of Paul Pogba in the, you know, over the sort of two, year, two years that I've been covering Man United. Um, obviously, you know, from, from watching previously to that, just as a kind of impartial observer. Um, yeah, I, I think Carl's, you know, nailed on there in terms of the three different options for him. Um, my gut, well, I, th- I think he's staying, you know, beyond this transfer window. Um, I think, the, yeah, the fact that PSG are going for Messi um, is is sort of put a kind of rubber stamp on that. Um, listen, you never know what can happen sort of towards the end of the window, but that was always my impression that he would um, stay. Um, United are in contract talks with him. Can they put something down where he goes, yep, yeah, okay, actually, this is where I want to finish my career. Um, you know, I'm liking the way the club's going because that's always been a, a, an issue for him. You know, the kind of the feeling that um, is the club heading in that direction? Um, is it is the team set up where he can you know flourish to his best? Um, he's got to take responsibility on that score as well. You know, there's certainly been occasions where he has not um, done uh, his absolute utmost for, for Manchester United and. Uh, or, or just even performed, you know, to his best. You know, there's probably only a few games where you'd go, that was the real Paul Pogba. But I think we found quite a few of those at the end of last season. You know, I know it's only Burnley away. I know it's only Fulham away, but they were kind of crucial games that United needed to win. And that was a time when they were top of the table. So, and he produced, you know, two match-winning goals in, in both those games with, with all-round performances. Um, so that was why I, I've kind of changed my view. And I feel like if United can you know, get him to, to stay at the club. He just provides something different, you know, than any other player they've got. And if they can get a structure that, you know, manages to get the best out of him where he's not so so deep in midfield, where he's not sort of twisting and turning, trying to get past players and then, you know, giving it away um, and putting his team um, under pressure, then I think that would be a real benefit to the club. Um, we'll see, you know, I can well imagine that he looks at it and goes, well, listen, if I can get, you know, a, a huge deal somewhere else when I'm a free agent, you know, why would you not look at that situation? Um, I, I'm not kind of one of these people that thinks that players have to show loyalty or fidelity, you know, above, you know, the, the length of their contract. You know, he signed a contract, he's, he's played throughout that period. Um, it's up to him what he does with his next step. Um, uh, but I could see a situation like David De Gea where, um, you know, he got into the final 12 months of his contract. He had sort of a bit of interest from other clubs. Um, and I think he used that well to get a really big contract for Man United. Whether that's the right thing for Man United, I, I still don't necessarily know. But I think that if they could get him for a, 
a salary that wasn't, you know, outrageous, then they should probably try and do that because I do think he, he brings a different quality to the team. And, and that's something that I've changed my mind on. I think his performances at the end of last season have made me change my mind. Um, and, you know, the, the performances that he produced at the Euros um, sort of solidified that for me that actually this is a real talented player. And, you know, I think he might respond well to the, the investment that United are making in the team elsewhere. That's the biggest thing, isn't it, Flo? I think over the last few years, we're still talking about where does Paul Pogba fit into the Manchester United system. He's he's played games out wide. He's, he's played deep, like Laurie says. With the new signings, Manchester United should be able to play a bit more of an expansive brand of football, perhaps perhaps move themselves higher up the pitch. Where do you think Pogba fits in? I think he still has a, has, has, has a creator role to play. I Probably not out wide, but centrally. Um... But as Carl touched on in his voice note, what the fans and I think what the team are crying out for is that solid defensive midfielder. And Carl doesn't seem massively hopeful that that's going to happen. I think you touched on it in your piece, Laurie. So how do they make that work in terms of ensuring that the centre of midfield is solid enough to cope with what could be quite an explosive kind of wide areas now with Sancho and potentially Rashford as well. I don't know if they're left and right, what will happen there, but it's very exciting going forward. But then what happens to Paul Pogba? Yeah, it's it's the eternal debate, isn't it? And it was one that Solskjaer wrestled with as soon as uh, Pogba was back from his injury and Bruno was at the team. You know, how how do you fit both of them in, into the team? And originally he, he didn't. He, he had, you know, McTominay and, and, and Fred there. And then he actually did change it and had Matic as the holder and, and um, Pogba and, uh, and Bruno both sort of playing in kind of number 10 roles almost. And really Matic, um, we, we sort of forget about him sometimes, but if he was, you know, six, seven years younger, he would be the ideal player, I think, to, to do that because he's got intelligence, he's got physique, um, he can move around the pitch. He's not, you know, he's not one of those guys that wants to get forward. He, he's quite happy to kind of drop back into defence if Harry Maguire is striding out with it and, and he's got defensive discipline positionally. So, yeah, but he's not got the legs anymore. So um, he's not going to be there playing week in, week out as that number, as that sort of holding midfielder. Um, look at Scott McTominay and think, you know, he, he's got all the attributes to do that, but he, he does like to get forward. He was originally a number 10 sort of coming through in the academy and he's got, we saw in the Europa League final, a really good ability to go, to drive past players, you know, um, with, with that strength that he's got, with the kind of acceleration that he can get to. He's a really fast runner and okay, it takes him a little bit of time to get up to top speed, but he can go past players quite well. A little bit like we saw Declan Rice, I suppose, in the, in the uh, Euros final. And Declan Rice is a player that perhaps that he would fit that mould as a, as a younger Nemanja Matic. Um, so that, I mean, that would, ideally, that would be your, your kind of team where you had McTominay as, as a number six and perhaps Pogba and, and Bruno as your number eight sort of going forward. Bruno's played that role for Sporting Lisbon and for Portugal. Um, so it wouldn't be alien to him. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Pogba played that role for Juventus and that's always been the kind of um, mystical um, sort of, point that United have perhaps been trying to get to with him um, but whether that actually works in reality I, I'm not sure um, just because of the, the different dynamics of the, the different approaches that each player would have in that situation it would take quite a lot of synchronicity to work properly you've still got then Fred who is a kind of dynamic player but you can't really rely on his passing um, Donny van der Beek we'll see how that works I would see him more as a as an alternate to 
Pogba or, or Bruno in, in that, you know, if it's a 4-3-3 system, then great. Um, rather than a, a kind of, you know, a sitter, you know, or a defensive midfielder himself, um, that's that's not his strength. So it is, a, it's an area that United really do need to address. I don't know if they'll do it this window. The, the kind of the latest chat is that it's a minimal chance. Um, we'll see though, you know, you never, again, you never know if something comes up towards the end of the window and they think they can do it. But, you know, Declan Rice is too expensive from West Ham as things stand. Uh, Kamavinga, um, it looks like he, he is available for a, a reduced fee because he's only got one year left at Ren. But, um, you know, do PSG want him this summer? Um, would he would he stay for another year at Ren and, and then leave on a, on a free next summer? That's another old, you know, another possibility. Um, so there's a few players that have been linked, but I, I, as it stands, I don't think anyone will come in um, unless they unless United sell. Um, obviously, that could depend on Pogba or Lingard. Lingard's another player that we haven't actually mentioned who by all accounts now, you know, he's told Solskjaer that he wants to stay and fight for his place and, and he could be seen as a, a number eight, um, you know, in that position, sort of good uh, energy about him. So um, I suppose it's, yeah, that that's that's kind of how I would see Paul Pogba playing the best. Um, whether it happens in reality, I don't know. But there was there was like a, a, bit, a bit of a golden period at the end of uh, the season when, you know, everyone came out of lockdown. It was behind closed doors for the first time and, and that's when United you know I'm sure Dan remembers that game at Villa Park where Pogba and Bruno both played and it, it, you know United looked like you know they're purring in, in top gear and I suppose that's what Solskjaer probably striving towards for, for this season as well Yeah because that's my problem in Manchester United again from, from the outside looking in if, if they've got ambitions to, to be that title winning or title challenging side again I just feel Fred and McTominay played too many games. You know, in years gone by, they'd have been squad players coming in for yeah. certain games, like Darren Fletcher or Nicky Butt. But, you know, on the big occasion, Laurie, they're, they're both there. And to move forward and become, go to that next level that Manchester United are looking to get back to, I just feel they kind of need to move on from that. Yeah, I think Solskjaer took a view. You mentioned Flo earlier, the 6-1. You know, that was a game where United got torn to shreds because, I mean, they went down to 10 men with Martial, but they were already sort of 2-1 down. It was a real end-to-end game, to be fair. They, they kind of threatened to come back into it at 2-1 down, but the, the red card changed the complexion. And, and yeah, they got they got torn apart. Matic played in that game. And I think then Solskjaer realised actually he needs to have a bit more security in, in games against the big teams. And basically, Fred and McTominay were a consistent um, presence in, in those games throughout them beyond that and, and obviously nil nils happened you know at home to Man City away to Liverpool away to Arsenal that being said away to Liverpool and away to Arsenal United missed you know probably four good chances in, in overall in, in the two games to win it one nil and then in hindsight they look like masterful you know away performances where they've you know restricted the home team who were a good home team and, and then they've nicked it at the end um, but I, I agree with you Dan that actually if they're going to go and win the title this season which is you know, has to be the ambition really. Um, then they need to be going and winning these games. You know, just not all of them, but you know, winning enough of them so that they kind of lay down a marker and they get ahead of, of the rivals for for winning the league. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how he goes. I agree with you. I think Fred and McTominay. You know, you really would want them to be alternating rather than be there together in a team. I think that they, that there's not enough going forward from from the both of them. Although McTominay's had some good performances. You know, against Leeds at home, he was he was brilliant. Scored a couple of goals. So. He does have that in his in his armory, but it's not a it's not like a Bruno or a Pogba, is it? So um, yeah, I agree with you. I think they probably need to go on the offensive a bit more in those games. And Flo, with all that in mind, what do you think Manchester United's realistic ambitions are for for this campaign? Can you see them challenging City, Chelsea, maybe Liverpool for the title? I can't um, yet. Um, I still think it's a bit early in this 
rebuild, I guess. I think, yeah, I think it is too soon. I think what those other teams have this season is just too much. I think Man City and Chelsea are going to be really pushing between them to to win the league. And I think they'll they'll definitely get Champions League qualification. Laurie, I don't know what the feeling is amongst the fan base, but certainly, what, what would you say, quarterfinal, the Champions League is really what they want to be looking at after falling out of the group stages last season do you think expectations are quite high for them to really push on in Europe yeah I think that would be a a realistic well certainly quarterfinals would be a realistic uh, you know achievement and I think you know just challenging in that you know because you look at the other teams in Europe you know Barcelona Real Madrid that they're not in great shape so you kind of think actually the English teams do have um, a bit of an edge on on the rest of Europe in that regard. So you know, Man United as the second best team according to the Premier League last season should really be pushing on deep into the competition. We obviously had an all English final last season, so you know, United ultimately should be looking to to go as far as they can in that competition, possibly even win it. Um, because it's it's individual matches. It's not you know necessarily, and we've seen with Solskjaer he can produce you know results in individual matches uh, when he gets the knockout phase. Um, they obviously got knocked out in sort of pretty dramatic fashion last season, really disappoints in having beaten PSG away and, and beaten Leipzig 5-0 at home. They should have made it through and, and, and didn't. So they need to be progressing from the group stage this year. I can't imagine they'll have as, as tough a group as they did last year at least. Um, and, and yet, I think fans want them to be there pushing the whole way. They, they were obviously top midway through the season and they, they, they kind of were close to City, but then it, it sort of went away it dissipated you know the home defeat to Sheffield United um, various other results that were disappointing you know, away to West Brom 1-1 so I think fans will want fans will accept if United don't win the title this season but I don't think they will accept a uh, a lack of a challenge at least that, that goes deeper than it did last season Dan what's your prediction in terms of where they're, where they're going to finish what they any silverware they might pick up I think they need some silverware. I think it's been a few years without a trophy. And I think Solskjaer kind of needs to get that monkey off his back. But I see third has been the ceiling for Manchester United this season. But that could still be perceived as progress, depending on how much of a, of a total challenge there is. I just think Chelsea and Manchester City, as you said, Flo, that they're stronger at the moment. And I think it's going to be difficult for Manchester United to overtake them. But but you never know. They've, they've definitely done good business this summer. This is probably the best Manchester United fans will have felt about their transfer windows for a long time. So you never know. They could be up there come the end of the season. Just before we let you go, Laurie, just wanted to ask one final thing of you. You, you put together this Ole Gunnar Solskjaer piece. just wanted to know, when you were doing your research, and there'll, there'll be athletic subscribers that are interested in this, was there anything there that really surprised you? I guess... Um... Probably the little bit about Greenwood, just because um, he had a difficult start to the season. Um, I think maybe adjusting to fame, you know, that kind of thing, that the scrutiny that, that comes with being a Manchester United player. Obviously, we're in lockdown. Um, it's difficult for any sort of teenager to be in that situation. Um, and uh, But he seems to have, have, have flourished and to the point where he's actually quite a vocal presence, you know, um, you know on the team bus, um, in the training ground. I don't think he's shy about expressing his feelings about... You know, he's got confidence for sure. I think maybe he's he's bounced really well off Edinson Cavani, um, who, you know, clearly has got so much experience and has taken time to kind of give him little tips here and there. You know, there's not a a mutual language between them as such because Cavani's Spanish and, and um, speaks Spanish and, and Greenwood speaks English. But I think striker to striker, there's a, a, a language of football that they can both speak and that seems to have developed and, and brought Greenwood out 
of his shell a bit more. So I, I'd be interested to know to, to to see how Greenwood does this season because you know he, he came on with such uh, an explosion in his debut season last season. I think some players, some defenders had maybe figured out. His, his traits a little bit but then he managed to come through that again and, and find new ways to score goals and I'm really interested to see how he now develops into this season um, you know particularly where he plays will it be on the right wing will it be up front I think it will probably be a mix of the two but yeah perhaps him doing the research hearing that he was uh, a, a sort of big personality in the dressing room and on the team bus not just on the pitch was, was a bit of a surprise yeah, I've got to say that completely took me by surprise. Thanks ever so much for coming on and chatting to us on the Athletic Football Show today, Laurie. And listeners, if you haven't already read the piece from Laurie, it's called The Secrets of Solskjaer's Reign at Manchester United, and it's a fascinating read. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Still time just before we leave you to point you in the direction of a few of the great stories on The Athletic at the moment. Flo, what have you been enjoying? Yeah, so we obviously talked at the start of the show about the chaos of this window and, and the financial struggles of some of the biggest clubs in the world. So I, I really enjoyed James Horncastle's piece on Hakimi and, and Conte and Lukaku all leaving into Milan and the yeah just chaos around that club at the moment. It's a really interesting read if you're maybe distracted by just what's going on at Barcelona. That's really good. And, and, and Michael uh, Cox's piece, which I think just came out... Um, in the last few days about is heading really necessary in football and obviously a lot of talk about heading injuries and the impact of heading at the moment so yeah definitely an interesting read how about you Dan? Yeah I've said before I love all James Horncastle stuff he's just got that Italia 90 that football Italia vibe and I just really enjoy his writing style but the, the big one for me I read it this morning before we came on is that is the Roy Keane at 50 piece I don't know whether, you, whether you've read that Flo? I haven't read it yet but it looks good. Yeah, there's some there's some good stories, some good anecdotes about Roy Keane. So that that's been one of my favourite articles of, of the week so far. He's just he's such an interesting character, Roy Keane. He's he's kind of got his on screen image, and then he's got actually how he is away from TV and with his friends and his family and stuff. He's just such, such an interesting guy. He's someone I'd I'd love to go out for a drink with, but I'm sure he probably doesn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I have seen from kind of how Ian Wright and others talk about him that he does have a soft side. It's I think we just we just rarely get to see it because he doesn't want us to. He still wants us to fear him, basically. I know, a very very interesting and intimidating guy. And remember, you can read all of those stories, Laurie's story as well, and more in full on the Athletic. And subscribe for just three pound thirty three a month by heading to theathletic.com/footballpod. So Flo, we've done it back together through our first show of the new season. It's been lovely. 
Yeah, it's great to be reunited and I'm, I'm excited for the season ahead. Yeah, we'll be back next week, Flo and myself, for another deep dive into one of the Athletic's big, big stories. So thanks very much to Flo and listeners as well. If you can hit subscribe, leave us a review if you're feeling generous. And if you keep an eye out for tomorrow's episode where Mark Chapman will be looking into the financial situation at Barcelona, I'm sure that'll be really, really interesting as well. All up in the air about Messi. Can't believe that's happened. Not going to be right watching Barcelona without Messi wearing that number 10 shirt. But yeah, Flo and myself will be back next week. Keep your eye out for all the content, both in the podcast and on the website. Have a great day. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.